Well, hello, church friends. We are so thankful that you have joined us for another online service. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have a, just a couple announcements for you before we get into God's Word. Uh, the first one is uh, we find it to be an honor and a privilege to uh, partner with you in prayer. And if you have any prayer requests, it doesn't matter if you attend Agora Bible Fellowship faithfully or you uh, live in Texas or wherever, we want to partner with you in prayer. So you can text your prayer request to 97,000, and we will receive those prayer requests, and uh, we will pray for you throughout the week. And so uh, if you don't believe us, go ahead and try it, and uh, you'll get a response. And uh, we just really want you to know that we love praying for you. So please send those prayer requests. The second thing is, man, we have a lot going on at our church across all of our adult ministries, our children's ministries, high school, junior high, senior citizens, everything. And we want to make sure that you know where to go to find that information. You could check out our website at agorabible.org or find us on the Church Center app for all of that information. And if you have additional questions, feel free to email us and we will love to get back to you. Well, lastly, man, we are just so thankful for your ongoing faithful giving. Uh, the ministries and the church here cannot operate without faithfulness in that. And we would be so uh, we would be so thankful if you would consider giving a donation. You can do that on our website under the Give tab or on our Church Center app. And again, we would be so grateful if you would consider a donation. And uh, we're again, we're just so thankful for your ongoing generosity. Well, now let's get into God's word. Hey, welcome everybody. We're so glad you're with us here at ABF Online. And if you're listening right now, I want to make sure you've already downloaded your sermon notes. It's a two-pager and we're going to have a lot of fun today. We're in this series, 10 Questions That Jesus Asked. And I've entitled this message, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And the question that Jesus asks is, why are you anxious? I think when you caught that title, you realized that's a song you remembered sometime in the late 80s. It was an acapella song to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And um, it was one of those songs that got in your head and you just can't get it out of your head. It's been this dubious distinction of ranked uh, number 31 on the one-hit wonders list of all time. It's also been ranked as the worst song of all time, but that's not what we're about today. We're talking about this whole idea of being anxious. And so in this series, Jesus asks that very question. In fact, he asks several questions that deal with this idea of worry and anxiety here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. He asks these questions about general life necessities like food and clothing that people worry about. And then the more serious questions like, what is our value to God and how long will we live? And so essentially he asks us, why are you anxious? And what I'm going to try to answer tonight or today or whenever you're listening to this is if you do get anxious or worried, what are we going to do about it? So here we go. Let's look at the context. We know that worry and anxiety seems to be woven in the very fabric of human existence, especially in the last three years because of COVID. People got worried and anxious about a whole bunch of things. And it's a problem that if we're really honest with each other, we're all anxious at some point in our life, at 
all of us have some kind of worry that we deal with from time to time. It may not be a chronic problem, but it is something we've all faced. And in fact, it's not surprising that Jesus would raise this question because it's a topic that is, is more than generational. Across the span of mankind, worry and anxiety has been a part of it. In fact, look at this quote on the screen. Nearly 20% of people living in the U.S. struggle with anxiety. And so that translates to 65 million people who experience that in a way that impacts their life profoundly. A couple other quotes, 40 million adults over the age of 18 uh, are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That's almost 20% or one in five. And of course, there are 50 million prescriptions given for antidepressants. And so we have an angst, uh, anxiety-induced and produced culture that we live in. Now, I want to make a disclaimer. I am not minimizing this idea of those of you who deal with a severe anxiety disorder. And that may require medical attention or a drug uh, regimen to cope with that. We're not dealing with that kind of medical issue here. I believe that the anxiety and worry that Jesus is talking about is kind of more the garden variety kind that all of us uh, face from time to time. Now, the context is this fits right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he's just finished a section on prayer and this warning about money, and so then Jesus comes back and says, maybe we shouldn't be worrying about all these things like money, etc. And so this section on where our hearts are, uh, these kinds of instructions, is about the idea of not getting overly preoccupied with the things of life that we tend to worry about and get anxious about. So here is the command. And we don't have any ambiguity about what the scripture says. What we have ambiguity about is, I get it, but how am I gonna deal with it? And we'll land that plane eventually uh, today as we look through this text. So here's the command in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So here's a description. Frank, quite frankly, as we look at this, simply stated, it says to us, don't be anxious. Okay, I get it. Easier said than done. So we're going to pause right now and go ahead and put a pause on your TV remote and take a moment. I'd like you to list all the things that cause you to be worried or anxious. We're going to hold on, and in a moment, I'll come back to join you to do this. Okay, you've had some time to write down your list, and you notice I said, let's do it we, not you. And so let me just tell you some things that I know that people worry about, some things of this in this list I worry about or I've been anxious about. I think it starts with the whole idea of self-image. Some of us are worried about what others think, do I still have it, whatever it is, and do people like me? Instagram hasn't helped this much because we have these airbrushed images of what people look like or what they're doing, and they always have a fabulous vacation and you're left with 98 degree heat stuck here in the Conejo Valley. Next, job security. Some of you are worried about getting fired or laid off or 
will I even have a job? Others are in a dead-end job or have a job that pays the bills, but you hate it and you worry about your future. That leads us to that future, and that's the uh, things you fret about that are yet to come. For some of you, it's uh, worrying about the elections coming up in 2024. What will our country look like in the future if such and such a candidate gets elected? So we have these political worries about the future. How about housing? Uh, some of you are worried about, is your house going to have all these costly repairs and can you keep up with them? Or maybe you'll never be able to buy a house because interest rates are going up. So you're worried about housing. Health is another big one, number five. Diets, weight management, too many carbs, not enough carbs, eating keto. Uh, are you a carnivore? And uh, then you just get into the whole history of family heart disease or cancer and an upcoming surgery, getting COVID, not getting COVID, getting it, but recovering from it, all these things. And then we ultimately think about, you know, our health as we get older. I hadn't thought much about health, to be real honest with you, until I tore my rotator cuff a few months ago. And how many things you need to do having both arms. And so that's caused me a bit of worry. If I'm honest, I'm asking myself, when, if, and will I play golf again? And they say I will someday, probably not until 2024. So it's a little minor worry. By the way, I have found out that I can survive without golf uh, as long as I can watch Dodgers beat the Astros. Then, uh, senior adult issues. Will you have enough money in retirement? Are you worried about retiring too soon? Are you worried about living too long? Do you have long-term health care in case you're incapacitated? And how are you going to pay for everything once you've retired? Boy, I've listed a whole bunch of things that people are a little anxious about, and we're not even done yet. Here's two more. Ultimately, death, and that is not just your own death, but you worry about your death uh, of your spouse if you're married and whether you survive them and how you will be ready or not ready for that day, and ultimately, whether you're ready to meet Jesus. And then lastly, the legacy. Uh, the legacy meaning, are you living the kind of life that's making a difference for eternity? So all these things are things that Jesus says, don't be anxious about this stuff. And he's going to give us some specific examples that we can then apply to our lives generally. So what is the definition of worry? Then what are we talking about? We're talking about this uneasiness of mind, this anxiety about something to fret about. Interestingly, it comes from this old English word that means to strangle. Merimanao is this over-concern uh, or anxiousness that occurs 26 times in the New Testament. In the Greek, this command, do not be anxious, includes the idea of stopping what's already uh, being done. In other words, we are to stop worrying and never start it again. You say, that's hard to believe that I could ever not worry about anything. And so that word literally means when you are anxious or you are worried, it chokes or strangles out the reason in your life. And I'll explain that in a moment. So worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God. And maybe you can appreciate this quote by Corey Tin Boom. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it does empty today of its strength. And then lastly, the devastation in your notes, the devastation. And medically, we know that the stress hormones 
that worry dumps into your brain have been linked to the following things. Shrinking brain mass, lowering your IQ, being prone to heart disease, cancer, premature aging, predictive marital problems, family dysfunction, clinical depression, and making seniors more likely to develop dementia. Whoa! All that because we can't just smile and be happy. Now, I know that feels a little simplistic, and so we have to figure out how do we not worry, and we will get there. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic says, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. But here's the quote. He says, I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. So let's look at the components that Jesus brings up to us in verses 26 to 32. Jesus lists these four common areas where worry or anxiety bore into our daily lives. They're kind of like the gophers in my backyard. They're underneath the surface. They cause all kind of havoc, and that's exactly what happens with worry. It burrows into our lives, and and emotionally, it causes all kinds of havoc. Well, what's the first one in verse 26? Look at the birds of the air. They are neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So the bottom line is food. Look at the birds of the air. That's the object lesson. They're taken care of. They eat. And you can just imagine, he's in northern Galilee, see these birds flying overhead, and he uses that uh, flying illustration of the birds, uh, passing birds, to be part of his teaching. The rationale is this, if God's concerned about birds, and by the way, I'm an animal lover, but not a huge animal lover, so whether he's concerned about cats is dubious, dogs for sure, birds maybe, but the bottom line is, if he's concerned about their well-being, how about your well-being? You are invaluable to God. If you're a thinking person right now, you're saying, hmm, God cares about us, he doesn't want us to starve then what happened to God in relationship to starving people and maybe particularly starving brothers and sisters in Christ? What happens with that? I think as we look at this idea of food and whether we have enough or not, we could do things in our world a little differently. 10% of the agricultural lands in the world could produce enough food to feed everybody on the planet, even by the standard of U.S. consumption. So even though we're more valuable, that doesn't mean that we're going to eliminate poverty in the world. The second area, he says, don't worry about life, life in general, verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Are you worried about your life expectancy? If you look at your family history, you know when your dad died, your mom died, who had what kind of heart disease, etc. We have that discussion in our family because my dad had his first heart attack when I was 16, 17 years old in 1973, and he was in his mid-50s. But it says in Scripture, Hebrews 9, 27, there's an appointed time to die. So when we die, and we all know that we're going to die someday unless the Lord returns and we're raptured up with him, we know that we're all going to die. But there are two things about death that we're concerned about. When and how. When is the whole idea of how old will I be? Will I be old enough? Will I die uh, before I get married, before I have kids, before I'm a grandparent, before I have grandkids? Will I live too long, too old? What will be my, my quantity of life? And then the how will I die? 
Probably that's the one that in your darkest hours you think about and think about, will it be peaceful? Will it be painful? Will I suffer? Will I have this quality of life? Will I be on a feeding tube? Will I have a DNR in place? All these physical things that play. And until you get to be of a certain age, you don't even think about that one. I would say if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, you probably hardly ever think about death. You get into retirement age, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and death becomes a much more prominent concern. So Jesus says, it's okay, but don't waste your time doing any worrying about this because you can't predict how long you're going to live. And even by fretting about it, you're not going to add to your life. I don't care if you're a vegan. You're not going to be able to add years to your life. I realize that's controversial, so maybe you're a carnivore. That probably won't add years to your life either. And so what happens if we're worried about things in life? Here are some interesting statistics. We're generally worried about nothing. Many, many different studies have proved this out, but here's one. 83 or 85% of what subjects worried about never happened. Uh, Michael de Montaigne said this, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. Now, of the 15% that did happen, 79% of the people interviewed discovered that they could handle that difficulty better than expected. And so maybe there was a lesson worth learning. That means that 97% of what you worry about is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with this exaggeration and misperception how bad it could be. The third area is clothing. Worrying about clothing? That was a bigger deal back in Jesus' day. Most of us are fully clothed. That's not a big issue. And why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 28 through 30. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who had a lot of money, by the way, and a lot of clothes. He had more clothes than Imelda Marcos had shoes, by the way. And even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not be much more clothing of you, O ye of little faith? It's pretty straightforward. Don't worry about clothes, but he says this, this, this clothing uh, worry or concern that it's like the grass that's thrown in the oven. What is he talking about? How does he go from clothing to you know, gla- uh, grass clippings? Well, this idea of furnace kilbanos, better translated oven, uh, when someone was going to be hardening clay, we understand what those ovens were, but they used the same ovens for baking bread. So if a woman wanted to get the bread to, to cook quicker, she would heat up the inside of the oven and then put grass and flowers from the nearby fields underneath that stove, so superheating it. And when you burn the grass, that's good for nothing, and that's what he's suggesting. Don't worry about this stuff, because this stuff's going to burn. It's also a commentary about clothing and style. Some of you have been wearing the same stuff since the 60s or 70s. You want to call it vintage, I just call you cheap. Or maybe you're just trying to bring back that trend. I am telling you that leisure suits will never make a comeback, all right? Never make a comeback. They are not classic. And so he says, don't worry about the details of life. He goes from foul to fashion in his comparison. And I think that, again, this Instagram preoccupation uh, with sports, clothing, cars, fitness, the way we look, um, 
some of those, like clothing and maybe cars, express our individuality. And so are they a statement about who you are and that's what you value? Does the amount of money you spend in those two areas uh, at the expense of other things in your life, is that really, really worth it? Something to think about. Then the last one is a real, it's a much more serious category. Of the previous three, this one kind of is in a category by itself. Verses 31 and 32, the issue of security. Therefore, after he said all that, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So he's not saying that they're not important, that you don't need them. We do need to be clothed. We need to eat. We need uh, all these things. We, we need security. We are concerned about the things that affect our lives. But here's a great definition. He uses these four examples to point out the fact that worry is unnecessary because the Heavenly Father is on it. This idea of, I got it, I got it. This is what my grandkids tell me all the time. I got it, Papa, I got it. Whatever that is, whether it's swimming across the pool, getting the ball, or making a decision. Here's a great quote. Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you can't change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about the things he can change. Now, just for a moment, we took some time to look at the things that we worried about. Look at that list that you wrote for me uh, 12, 15 minutes ago. And now I want you to run that list through this grid of Scripture and say, what does God say about that in light of this Scripture? I'm going to show two of them to you. His advice, first from Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So part of the deal of dealing with worry is you just got to let God know about it. Share it. Talk about it. Express it. Don't bottle it up. And then it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Any of you who've watched a loved one dying on their deathbed in a hospital know that kind of supernatural peace that transcends all understanding that God can only give to you in that time of deep, deep despair. And then from Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety is a man, in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. We're part of the solution, friends. Sometimes when your friends are anxious or worried, it's not good enough to tell them, don't worry, they know that. That's what the scripture says. We get it. It's a command. It's a stop doing it. But the bigger question is sometimes, how can our words be a soothing balm to their distressed soul? So we're going to pause the tape again, and I want you to ask yourself, what's weighing me down? I think it's one of those things on the list. Usually, not all worries are created equal. So is there something of those six or seven or two or three things that you wrote down that's really weighing you down, and we'll run that through our little uh, solution uh, situation here coming up. What's weighing me down? Okay. Now, the comparison. Again, taking not from our text, let me give you a comparison from Philippians 4 again, verses 11 and 12. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. So you can also check that out in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. So one question I have for you as you're worried about stuff is, what are your wants versus what are your needs? 
ask yourself when it comes to money and housing and clothes and cars and food, how much is enough? Are we content? Are we always striving for more? I'm generally content with any In-N-Out burgers. I like them. I like hamburgers. But if I get a chance, every once in a while, I'd love to have a filet mignon at Mastro's. I don't make a habit of it. And so I ask myself, is that a need or a want? Ah, it's clearly an excessive want, but maybe annually it's okay for that. And so what are your values and your priorities as it relates to that um, when it's about your consumption? Now you say, I don't have enough money to tithe, for instance. Well, if you don't have enough money to tithe, is that because you are spending all your money on your wants? Or really, are it's just you barely have enough two nickels to scrape together to meet your needs. I'll leave that. I'm not here to pound you on that, but I am going to remind you, I think we're about $50,000 behind in this annual budget. Again, I think that's something that the Lord will have to move in your hearts and our hearts as we uh, want to continue to do the ministry the way God has called us to do it here. And I do want to mention that we're pretty frugal. We don't spend money on things frivolously here. And so every uh, dime, every quarter, every dollar you give, uh, we want to be faithful to the ministry God's called us to. The other thing is there's this dichotomy between being rich and poor. By any standard of human consumption and evaluation in our world, we are rich. If you live in the United States anywhere, you are a one percenter in many ways compared to the rest of the world. Here's a problem that Dr. John MacArthur uh, brings out, though, in the rich versus poor discussion. The rich are tempted to trust in their possessions, interesting enough, but the poor are tempted to doubt God's provision. One trusts their, their possessions, the other one doubts God's provision. Here's another comparison. The rich are tempted to become self-satisfied in the false security of their riches, a.k.a. their money, and the poor are tempted to worry and fret and be fearful in the false insecurity about their poverty. That's a profound statement that we might want to, to ponder. So here's a test. One of the supreme tests of our spiritual lives is how do you handle money and what is your relationship to it and how these two worlds collide in your life. God speaks about money in powerful ways. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus shared deal with money. One out of 10 verses of the New Testament deals with the subject of money. That means there are 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 on faith, but there are over 2,000 on money. And that's why Dave Ramsey has made a very healthy living on talking about money and Christians' response in dealing with it. And so where the Lord gives you a lot or gives you more or gives you less, here's the principle. It all belongs to him. And let's not be worried about it. He's the owner. He's the controller. He's the provider. We're just the stewards of what he's entrusted us with. And so we'll land this plane and we'll apply it now and look at the council. What do we do about this worry, anxiety issue that we're facing. Here's the counsel. Seek him. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow, in another translation says, for tomorrow has enough problems of its own. I like that. So 
Let's look at it together. The first principle of how to not worry, how not to be anxious, is to do this. Put God first in your life. Get the order straight. Get it right. If you're going to have a preoccupation about something, how about it about whether or not you are loving God fully, serving Him um, completely? Get the order right. Look at what God has for you in His work in the world. So it's okay to be delighted in added provisions, but let's just not be anxious about all every petition we give. So I'm glad to be blessed. I was blessed to be given Dodger tickets this past week, and I sat in great seats, two seats from the field. Even though it was 98 degrees, it was awesome, and there was food involved that was provided. Pretty fun day. I'm, I'm thankful for it, but I can live without it. I can live with it, but I'm grateful for it. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So if you put God first, no matter what you're facing in life, ultimately, he's sovereign, he's in charge, he's the guy that we should be thinking about. I would say if you're going to put God first, the other way to evaluate that is, what is your kingdom project? What is it that you can throw yourself into? A kingdom project is something that serves others and doesn't have a me focus, it has a you focus. How can I serve some constituent group? Is your life shaped by who you trust or what you're experiencing? My life is going to be shaped in I trust God with it, not what I temporarily am experiencing, whether it was the Woolsey fire in 2018, whether it was COVID the last few years, et cetera, et cetera etc. Worry is just inconsistent with our face. Now, I want to give you a moment of reflection as you ask yourself, what is your kingdom project? I want to tell you three things in my retirement as a full-time pastor that I am passionate about my kingdom projects. The first is I want to be an intentional Christian grandparent. And some of you are going to do that journey with me this next year in a small group on Thursdays. Others are joining me for a grandparenting summit on October 21st, I want to be an intentional grandparent. I, number two, want to be teaching and mentoring. I want to mentor young leaders. I'm doing that one-on-one -on -one with a guy right now. And then I'll start a group with three other men. We call them the Four Amigos. And um, we'll be going through some material together as we seek to be intentional as godly men and fathers and grandfathers. And then I want to just be uh, let you know of something that's new in our lives for Cheryl and I. Uh, you won't see me much at ABF over the next five months. I've just accepted a new position as the interim teaching pastor at Grace Church of Glendora, and I start on September 10th. And so that'll be a very exciting time as I open God's Word for this congregation and help them along the way as they await the uh, hiring of their new pastor who will come sometime hopefully by the end of 2023, but likely in sometime in 2024. Number two, so put God first. Number two, here are some predictions. I want you to just write in four words, because this will kind of put it and frame it. It's not unique to me. Rick Warren, a retired pastor from Saddleback, said these four things about worry. Worry is unreasonable. So when you worry about something that you can't change, it just doesn't work. Worry is unnatural. You know, as humans, we're the only species on the planet that worries in all of God's creation. We are the worrier warts. Worry is unhelpful. 
uh, it doesn't change anything. And then lastly, worry is unnecessary. So if you trust God, you don't need to worry. I know, again, it sounds simplistic, but it is part of God's plan. So here's the practical help. If you have the garden variety kind of anxiety that I've discussed before, not this severe medical anxiety that we have also referred to, let me give you three practical suggestions on how to deal with it. Number one, promises. You've got to claim God's promises. When you're anxious, uh, it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And the next verse, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Psalm 94.19. Claim God's promises. Write them down. Number two, provision. He cares about specific situations in your life, and sometimes you just got to suck it up, gut it out, and trust him in the midst of that current of, of overwhelming anxiety and trust him through it. 1 Peter 5, 7, you've heard it, but can you believe it? Casting all your anxieties and cares upon him because he cares for you. And then lastly, protection. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. John 14, 1 says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. God is sovereign. He's in charge. He can handle it. In fact, he can handle it much better than you can. So take that heavy burden of worry, take it off your shoulder and lift it up to him. That's the plan to claim his promises, trust in his provision and realize that he will protect you and nothing is outside of his sovereign will. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who understands us. You get us. You, we realize that you're the one who we've been wired at times to want to take control and to be in charge. And yet you know and we know that ultimately that control isn't good for us. We've got to rest in the calm assurance that you've got a bigger plan, even if the temporary trials of our life seem to indicate otherwise. And so we're going to trust you, just like a, a pilot trusts his instruments in his plane when he can't see where he's going. We're going to trust you to guide us when we can't see why things are happening in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 